Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Al Basti Ecruel, Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. And lots of people to talk to between now and then. And most of our guests today will be joining me uh, via video link up because of the new tier two protocols. But I am pleased to say that at a suitable social distance, Cornelius Lysett is back in the Luck on Sunday studio, basking still in a warm, <laughs> in a warm afterglow from, from Ascot. Yeah, you talked about warm hearts and uh, that's, that's the real feeling. You know, Champions Day was designed, what, um, it was the 10th Champions Day, wasn't it? Mm. Um, and it was as heartwarming as any Champions Day have been because of Holly Doyle and Tom Marquand. But it, it was designed as a focus for British flat racing and on British flat racing in uh, the autumn. And that, that is what it's achieving. There have been... What have there been 60 odd races, haven't they? And you can't produce a champion in every single one of those races. But I think those uh, tut tutters and uh, t tooth suckers said, oh, moving the Champions Day from autumn ground at Newmarket to autumn ground at Ascot, despite the brand of Ascot. It's not going to work, is it? I think 10 years on, you've got to say it has worked. And I'll declare an interest. I was one of those people tut-tutting and sucking through my teeth uh, over all that. But that, that has certainly worked. And when you consider some of the horses, the Frankels, the Cirrus des Eggs, the Solos, the Cracksmans, the Roaring Lions, the Stradivarius's, the Kew Gardens, and some very decent performances yesterday, you know, it has achieved what it set out to do. I think that's a fair... I, I, I'm not sort of, you know, I, I don't want to be a cheerleader for Kipco or a cheerleader for, for British racing, but I think, realistically, if you look at what has been achieved, you've got to say it's done pretty well. It's definitely scored high on human interest stories, oh, particularly yesterday. It's certainly yesterday human interest stories And Frank outweighed, and Sir Henry Cecil early, yeah, in, early on. Massively outweighed the... Equine brilliance on show, I think, yesterday. Yeah, but 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 that's not to be. It shouldn't be downgraded. You know, I thought Trushan announced himself on the stage to win by seven and a half lengths. Put Holly Doyle to one side for a moment. What a year Alan King has had at Ascot. Three Royal Ascot winners, a, cl a close second at Royal Ascot as well, and now that. And we used to think of him as a, a jumping man that used to do a bit of uh, uh, flat racing. Wonderful tonight. That was a tremendous performance yeah. from David Minucci's horse. Perhaps she'll be heading for the arc next year. The Revenant, uh, a great training performance, probably enforced uh, for Francois, uh, Fr Francis Graffa by the, by the lockdown and not being able to run for a long time. But uh, that one, uh, 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 you know, good quality QE2. And Adeyeb, you know, people are saying, oh, uh, you know, how, how good is Adeyeb? And, but but, but the, the fact is he was winning yet another Group 1 race on the different side of the globe uh, against a whole lot of Group 1 performers in really good style. So, 
yeah, I, you know, you, you, you can't... There, there was a little bit of tut-tutting and, and, and uh, that seems to be my favourite expression in the morning and tooth-sucking on, on social media last night. But I think to an extent that was just a bit for the sake of it. It was, it was, not, it was not an average day. It was a good day in terms of horse racing, uh, in terms of the action on the track and the people involved. But it was a day that was dominated by Holly Doyle and Tom Mark, and we will be joining them shortly, but we're going to take a canter through some of their winners. Cornelius, uh, you mentioned True Shan at the beginning yeah. of the programme. Yeah. And it's easy to forget in in all the the holly hullabaloo that this is a horse who is just absolutely monstered group one performance. I know the staying division isn't as strong as the middle distance division or the miling division, but this is a, a sensational well, effort. You know, and the fact is Stradivarius is there in the yellow cap on the inside and struggling at this point. But uh, look at the way that True Shan, who, who travels uh, throughout this race, comes powering to the to the front and then is not going to stop uh, and that is a very wide margin by which this horse uh, is going to be successful continuing a, a really good run for himself and for for his trainer look at that you know you you can't say that there are a whole lot of selling places behind they are nice horses behind and he has absolutely humbled them well you've got a dual Irish and ledger winner absolutely. in second and the Irish and keeps ledger keeps on really really third. honorably doesn't mm. uh, doesn't she to be uh, second at the end but that was a, a lovely performance, and you have to think that, she, that Trushan will be throwing down some, some big gauntlets in um, 2021. There have been several slower runnings of this race at Ascot as well. I made the point yesterday that the Champion Stakes was the slowest Champion Stakes that had ever been run since the race had been moved to Ascot, which people thought was me criticising the event. Far from it, I was yeah. simply stating the fact, which is that it was. This, however, I think was the fourth fastest or fifth fastest that there'd been in the ten editions at Ascot. So that on the clock, it, it would seem to suggest, without having a deep dive, that this wasn't a bad performance either. And interestingly, the three Royal Ascot winners that Royal Ascot winners that Alan King had could be going jumping at some point in the months ahead. This one, this this fella's yeah. not uh, is not going uh, jumping. Uh, I think Anthony Bromley, who uh, is the bloodstock agent to the to the team and big supporter, to saying, the stars, yeah, uh, uh, or, and to the Alan King yeah. uh, team in particular, I think uh, tweeted something. Was it last night? Hashtag too good to go jumping or no more jumping now or something like that. Yeah. You know, this, this is a very very valuable horse in um, in in big races. But Stradivarius, the first of a of a series of disappointing results for the Goldstone team. The day was very much build going into it. Uh, and uh, as uh, in very much involving John Goldston, obviously with all his star names mm -hmm. going, and Frankie Dettori riding uh, many of them, and Aidan O'Brien uh, going there with some star names as well, both of them with eight successes at uh, Champions Days over the years. So the feeling was they might well dominate. The bookmakers inclined most of the specials surrounded Mr Goldston and Mr O'Brien, and all the, all the bets on those have gone into the bookmakers' satchels um, because no, no success for, for either. Stradivarius, it was a big ass, wasn't it, 13, 13 days well, on? Well, was it? Well, uh, as it turns you, out, I mean, it was. You, you, can't, you can't slice it both ways, can you? You can't, on one hand, say he's only had a, bi a bike race or whatever it was in the arc and he's only gone for a little pot around and then, on the other hand, say, well, it's coming back quick after the arc and the ground and so forth. It, we know that the horse has handled soft ground plenty of times mm. before now to victory. It's the only time in a staying race since his Gold Cup of 2018 that he started odds against, which meant right. surely there were people who didn't fancy him very much. Yeah. And it's he the was only, very easy to back, wasn't he? It's the only time he's been disappointing in his entire life. Yeah. You couldn't really call him disappointing yeah. in the arc. 
No, no, it's no, clearly something amiss. But but I suppose if you think about it, if you if you're 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 revved up for one particular day, you travel from Newmarket to mm. to France. I get it. You have a race. Uh, I think a lot of Gosden supporters will be quite surprised that he did run, but uh, they decided to uh, to have a go. So bravo for having a go. But um, you know, on on because actually there are a couple of horses from yesterday mm. who ran on Art Weekend, ran really well on Art Weekend, and have have backed up. Uh, the, so the, the fascinating thing about that race is, to, is now Trushan next year will just simply have to be campaigned in all the big cup races. Of that, there is no question, and the the uh, the forward move of the Alan King team as a flat operation mm. as well as a National Hunt operation. In fact, the National Hunt um, season certainly last year's tiny bit, you know, by their standards, tiny bit disappointing. But the flat racing is absolutely moving forward. I wa- I'm inclined to think that up in the sky. David Nicholson, to whom Alan King was assistant trainer for 15 years, and he trained about... He did train a, a couple of flat winners over mm. the years, and uh, he also masterminded the, the Princess Royals' uh, flat rides as well. But he must be... Famously, the Duke, as he was called, used to point his finger when he had a point to make, and when he's pointing his finger from the skies about uh, uh, Alan doing so well on the flat, he might be saying... Oh, don't forget the jumping. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, he started off in pretty good form over he jumps as well. He's had a couple of winners over jumps this week too, Alan King. But it was very much a motif of the day. So somewhat unheralded trainers breaking through, uh, young jockeys on the up, and syndicate ownership as well. And that was the same in the in the second race, which was won by Glenn Shield. This was Holly Doyle's first Group One victory. Another syndicate here: Barbary Lions in the first race, Hamilton Racing, and Archie Watson with a Group 1 victory. And I thought it was entirely fitting that it should be Archie Watson who gave Holly Doyle his first Group 1 victory, Cornelius, because he's done more than anybody to launch her career. And the thing to remember about Holly Doyle and Tom Marquand, and they'll be the first to acknowledge this, is obviously they are the, gold, they are the golden couple. They are the people who are, are riding over a, uh, gaining over a million pounds of prize money on, on British Champions Day. But there are a lot of people around, and Holly Doyle and Archie Watson... Their association has been uh, has been particularly strong. That was Archie Watson's first Group One success, I think, uh, as well. And this horse uh, in the lead here was out of the stalls like nobody's business, what, uh, wasn't it? Uh, and uh, then has to be pretty bold at this sort of stage. But look at Dream of Dreams there with the yellow cap and the blue sleeves. And uh, I was shouting at the television. I love Dream of Dreams. I was shouting, not too far for Sir Michael, not too far. But then, unfortunately. Uh, when you think that uh, he's going to come throw down a challenge and win, he, he's dropped out. Here comes one master in the green sleeves. His, uh, her, sorry, formidable reputation is gained over seven furlongs. And look, if this was seven furlongs today, uh, what, what would have happened? But, and you've got to mention the eight-year-old Brando. Amazing. Well, what an what a absolutely magnificent horse. And actually on the line, Holly Doyle said she wasn't absolutely certain that Tom Eves on... Uh, on Brando hadn't hadn't done a very close home, um, but what a magnificent performance! We haven't mentioned Oxted here either, who has looked like the winner at this yeah, point of the race I, I in thought, the pinkish colours. I thought colours. Oxted looked like the best horse in the race, yeah. the fastest horse in the race. I just think six on soft ground really just stretches him a little bit. And he, the, the July Cup, that's when he was yeah. absolutely uh, everything was absolutely right for him. But you know. That, that, well, there are half a dozen there relatively close together and people will be a bit sniffy about the form and about uh, uh, what, uh, what, the, what, what, how good the winner is. But, well, that, that's the image, isn't it? But we mustn't, as you rightly say, we mustn't forget Glenn Shield and the Archie Watson team who've had a, a tremendous time very much with Holly Doyle. And, we, you know, inevitably, 
Doyle and Markrand are the ones everyone's talking about, but it's Archie Watson as well. It's William Haggis as well, the trainer of Adieb. It's their teams. Uh, and it's, you know, Tom Markrand starting off the year in Australia with Haggis and has come uh, amazing year right the way through to Scotland, uh, the, the Air Gold Cup, the St. Ledger the other day coming in yeah. for that, that ride. What are you, you know, at the end of the year, it'll be Holly Doyle that is in the highest in the consciousness of the nation, if you like, the sports-loving nation. But both, both she and Tom have done really well. Both have shown so much ability this year that both are potential champion right. jockeys, uh, uh, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, and ultimately, it could be quite amusing to, uh, for us all to observe which one actually ends up at the top of the tree first. I do wonder whether Richard Hannan is a bit rueful about essentially letting them both slip through his fingers. I mean, Tom William Haggis has needed no second invitation to make sure that he's got Tom Markwin now and got him probably for good. He is going to take that stable to an even higher plane, yeah. or, or, or he's a, yeah, they're going to they're going to go forward together, aren't they? And I'm loving the pride that William and Maureen are sh showing, seeing seeing Tom. Uh, Tom Tom's got perfectly good family of his own, but I suspect he's got a really good second family now, and that's all working really well. And it's really really mm. nice, uh, really nice to watch. The victory of a day was a victory for precision training. Uh, this is a horse who'd been in Australia. He may have a date with Saudi Arabia in the spring, but in between times he's been given a, a quietish time of things with that victory at air putting him spot on for this and he attacked the race it, with, yeah. with some gusto yesterday and it, it, felt, it, it felt like a performance from, from, from the jockey as well didn't it mm. that, that uh, you know uh, we, are, we are young and upwardly mobile and going for this and uh, you know he grabbed the race by the scruff of the neck I think the, the one to really watch here and uh, we'll, we'll see it again in just a second as we see Adiev uh, go on and win is magical uh, because she just never really got in a blow, and then at a crucial moment, is it about here that she she doesn't get a run? Um, so um, she mm. she got a poor position, didn't she? Uh, she she jumped, broke from the stalls well, but Ryan Moore rather got shuffled back. Yeah, but probably about two or three further back than he wanted to be. Meanwhile, Tom Markman went outside in, and that was a a tactic that William Haggis and, and he had had premeditated and it worked a, to a treat but you've got to have the horse to carry you through the race and as William Haggis joins me on the line now I'm sure William as we congratulate you you would agree that the horse was bang up for the job yesterday yeah yeah he, he, he looked great beforehand although uh, when they're your own they always look great to your eye um, but he was like a coil spring yesterday he, yeah, he had a sort of he had a real sort of aggression about him the way he went through the race I mean that in the, in the most positive sense yeah, I, it just, he travelled, everything went perfectly. We weren't sure with that draw um, about Mishriff, who was bound to go fairly forward. And we didn't want to get too wide, so Tom took the ball by the horns and went forward and got in front of Frankie, and then just got a lovely uh, sit uh, on the outside of Serpentine, so it was perfect, really. You talked to me on Friday about this horse, and you said that he'd become, he'd become quite a lazy horse. Uh, but since you put the cheek pieces on, he'd, he'd really got so much more consistency. Did you feel going into yesterday's race that he was he was up for it, that he was on the job, that, that he was sort of mentally focused in the right way? Yeah, I think we all did, Nick. Um, I, I didn't advertise it at the time, but he, he did something on the race course uh, side gallop at Newmarket last Thursday, and I'd been fairly poorly, so I was... Um, not feeling great, and, and Tom didn't ride him. He actually came and watched him. And he's a very lazy worker normally, and he he 
uh, we clock a lot of our work, and he did his last furlong in 10.84 seconds, which is pretty good, and his stride length was 8.14 metres. And I've only ever had one other horse that's stride length has been over 8 metres, and he was called Mutakeev. So we had a pretty good idea he was in good form, and the guy that rides him to feed every day was uh, really, really happy with him. So, you know, we'd, we'd been, I think, beaten comfortably by Magical last year, and I was petrified of her. But quite frankly, I thought, when he went out on the track, I thought he, he was bound to run a good race. Whether he was good enough was a different thing. How much does that kind of intense data or... or or much more detailed data inform how you how you race your horses and inform how you, you think they might run? Well, those things don't happen very often. It surprised me because, you know, that's not normal for him. It uh, showed that he was using himself fully and the ground had a bit of digginess as well, so we know that. But the data is helpful, um, not something we set our clock by, but it, it, what it does do is tell you how fast they've gone during the gallop and how well they finished. So from that point of view, I think uh, it's good for well-being anyway. We're going to talk to Tom Marquand and Holly Doyle in a, in a few moments' time. Why did you start employing Tom in the first place, William? What have you seen in him that you thought made him have the attributes to go to the top? Well, he's he's been a good rider for a long time. I mean, he went through the pony racing stuff, and we've always... Um, spotted him and thought he was good. He wrote a lot of winners and very well for Richard Hannon. And, you know, we uh, are very uh, keen on James Doyle too and Kieran, obviously, but he's a bit younger. But James uh, is retained by Godolphin and he got notification when racing started that he would have to ride more Godolphin horses for other trainers uh, apart from um, Charlie and possibly some of Shea Camden been Mohammed's horses too so we suddenly thought oh this might not be um he might not be quite as available as before because with charlie he's so well organized he knew as soon as he entered them whether he was going to run what where and whether william was going one way and james the other so it made my life and my life for tom a lot easier anyway as james was seemingly less available i thought we ought to uh, used Tom more once, so uh, basically I had a chat with James and, and we said, uh, William Moore and I concluded that Tom should should be given a chance to ride all of them, which is what's happened very quietly and, and discreetly, but he's got on with it and he's done a fantastic job starting in Australia. Yeah, this horse has been amazing as well, to do what he's done, to go to Australia, to come back, to almost improve on what he did last year. And you were talking yesterday that you might go to Saudi Arabia in the spring. Well, we don't know about Australia. I guess Australia is our first choice, but um, and, and Saudi Arabia is is a, a different surface. It's dirt. But I was out there last year for the inaugural running of the Saudi Cup, and that dirt track is terrific, and the best I've I've ever seen uh, um, personally. And um, and I think it's quite helpful to horses that enjoy a bit of cutting the ground. So. Um, I certainly wouldn't rule that out, especially if, if getting to Australia is going to be difficult. We ought to mention one master. Um, I, am I right in thinking she's run her last race? I think pretty much so. That's what we 
decided after. I've had a text from Roy Jackson overnight, not totally discounting the Breeders' Cup, and it's three weeks' time. So we will probably enter, I think, the entries this week. Um, but it's her last run in England, and she has been absolutely magnificent. She really wears her heart on her sleeve. She's only ever won a maiden over six, but uh, she was staying on all the way yesterday. Um, and, you know, it, it has been a real trooper for us. Uh, and what she did in France, Longshore, when you bear in mind, it sounds boring, Nick, but when you bear in mind that uh, um, there's only one group, one race in Europe for the older horses, and she's won it, the only one three times running. It's a pretty fair achievement, that, for her. And uh, when she goes to start, which she definitely will next year, and hopefully... Amanda, Brudenall, Peter Stanley and, and the Jacksons will find a lovely husband for her and uh, we can race the progeny. And, and just finally, William, you, you said you hadn't been in, in, in great fettle lately, but you feel quite a bit be, uh, better now. There was a, a lovely shot of you and Maureen just quietly leaving Ascot yesterday with, with your arms around each other. I, I expect that was quite a special moment for you, wasn't it? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I know everyone knows it. You can't underestimate... Uh, Maureen's part in all this. Um, she's very much the driving force, and she has huge respect from the staff, and uh, she puts her heart and soul into it. And I was basically um, a bedridden for the whole of book one sale, so she had all her jobs to do, and then go and look at all the horses and do the racing. And uh, well, I was pretty uh, useless. Um, and, uh, you know, she deserves every uh, accolade that she gets. She, she's marvellous and being marvellous. And uh, if I put my arm around her, it's because I want to hold on to her. <laughs> Lovely words, William. I'm, I'm getting quite choked up here. Um, uh, thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you very much, Nick. Well done to William Haggis. And from one uh, of racing's great enduring couples to one of racing's most successful couples, uh, Tom Markwind and Holly Doyle, who I, I'm hoping by the <laughs> by the wonders of technology can join us now. They were there a few seconds ago, so I'm hoping. Holly, Tom, I think you can hear me now. We can indeed. It's taken about half an hour to sort out. <laughs> I'm very sorry, and I really, really appreciate your patience. Just tell me a little bit about the end of yesterday before we talk about the races and what a sensational day it was. When you both got back into the car to, to go home yesterday, what, what did you say to each other? What, what was the conversation on the, on the way back home? Could you quite believe what you'd, you'd both achieved? I think we just laughed quite a lot, to be honest. <laughs> it was pretty surreal. Um... Like we went out for dinner and we just sat there, kept saying like, "What is like, why, how?" Um, but no, what a brilliant day! I mean, the whole, in particular, starting off the way it did was was amazing. I mean, Holly, there'd been a lot of attention on your rides going into the the meeting. We, you know, we'd all built it up and we so hoped against hope that you might be able to to get at least one strike at, at the top level. How did you feel going into yesterday? Did you did you try and channel that positively? Did you feel more nerves? Um, I just tried to treat it like a normal day, really. Um, I've been, you know, on quite a few of the big days now, and sometimes I find that you, you can overthink it, but realistically, um, the best way I'm trying to deal with it is just to treat it like a normal day. 
And when you're when you're both preparing for a, for a big day where you're both competing, do you talk much about it beforehand, or do you just try and leave each other a little bit? <laughs> yeah, we didn't really talk about it too much. Uh, we went down down together, obviously, and um, like I think on the on the old race, we just go, oh, are you, like, you going to go forward on that? And, yeah, probably, and that's about as far as it gets. <laughs> but do you do you ask each other's advice about the horses you're riding? Do you try and do you try and help each other as well? I know you're competing against each other, but do you do you try and point each other in the right direction, Holly? Um, I'd be more so asking Tom for a bit of advice. He wouldn't really ask me. Um, we tend to try and keep keep out of each other's way, yeah, on a race day. So there was that lovely moment when when Holly won on on Glen Shield, Tom, where you were a bit further back in the field and you you weren't quite sure what had what had happened. Just talk us through what was going through your head at the time. Yeah, I mean, to be, to be honest, from behind, um, like obviously I was, I was a good way behind at that point. Uh, I actually thought Brando had won because he was the fast finisher and pulling up, he went by Holly. So, yeah, I went over the line, a bit disappointed. And then obviously I could hear that saying, well done. And I thought, oh, no, like I didn't, I didn't think she had won. And then uh, the camera was on Brando and like it, it, you couldn't really tell who had won. And Holly wasn't sure when I asked her. And then when they called it, I mean, like there was a great shot of uh, a hole finding out. And I was just in front of her and you hear it and you could like the, the elation hearing the uh, photo called holes away was like amazing and it wasn't even me riding away <laughs> but um no I was so pleased and, and like what a legend of a horse to do it for, for for Archie Watson as well Holly tell me how much more this means to you that it was for Archie um no I'm sure it means just as much for Archie as it does for me it was um incredible for the pair of us both first group one winner um, I'm really just delighted that it was for Archie because obviously he's been a, a massive player in my success over the last few years I um, lost my claim and he um, you know obviously I got a job there and he put me up on um, a huge majority of horses that a lot of um, trainers probably would have dropped me off of um, and that's what you need in a bus. Yeah I was saying yesterday uh, Holly and, and you wouldn't have heard it that if ever there was a case of action speaking louder than words, it was Archie because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't say a, a whole lot. He doesn't, he's not that demonstrative about it to, to us. And he's sort of saying, oh, I'm putting Holly Doyle up on him. He just got on and just gave you the rides. And it was that the, kind of the perfect way of, of playing it, really. Yeah, no, he, um, he actually, actually lets his actions speak louder than his words, obviously. But he, um, he's incredibly loyal to his jockeys and staff. So for that to have worked out yesterday, especially on a horse such as Glen Seal, which is um, such a legend, it was a dream come true for everyone. Do you think that you know, there's a tiny, tiny narrow margin? If you hadn't have had that real confidence going into the sprint that presumably you got from riding Trushan in the first race, do you think that might have made the difference, that you had so much belief going out to ride Glen Shield that that might have made the difference between winning and losing? Possibly. I mean, I always, when I ride um, Glenfield, I always feel like I've got plenty of confidence because he tries so hard. He's very straightforward. And um, I remember discussing with Archie the night before what we were going to do. And we just, we decided that was the um, way we were going to ride him um, yesterday. So I think once you start your day uh, on a nap like that, it really does help. 
and and I because you're you're both here it's a it's a it's a real privilege for us in a way because you can you can tell us why each other has, has achieved what what they've achieved and, and Tom when you when you now look at, at Holly riding how do you think she's got from where she was say two years ago to where she is now yeah I mean look honestly through through hard work and, and craft like you know she's woken up every day gone and ridden out gone racing and tried to tried to turn up in the best form that she can every single day and you know she's she's worked very hard in the gym and, and things like that and you know stuff that people probably wouldn't normally think of but um I mean the the jump the last two years to the level that well you showed yesterday like it's it's unbelievable and and Holly when you got your two winners and then you you were second on Dan Mayo the day was going about as perfectly as you could have imagined <laughs> really uh, was it then? Was it then even, even more uh, exciting for you to, to see Tom win the Champions States? Did, was it? Did you feel, God, I really want him to get a slice of this? Yeah, and no, it was incredible. Obviously, a day has been such a flag bearer for Tom and Mr. Haggis back at home. He's an absolute legend. Also, not dissimilar to Glenn, but for him to have gone and won that um, British Group One um, was incredible. And Dave seemed so up for it yesterday. We spoke to William a few moments ago, Tom. Uh, when this horse bounced out of the stalls, did you immediately get the feeling that this could be your day? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm repeating anything that William said already because I can hear him, but um, honestly, just, just seeing him in the paddock, he looks absolutely incredible. And, and cantering down, he felt in the similar form that when he won the Q2 down in uh, Australia, he was he was sort of on the revs a bit and and uh, willing to try and bury me. But um, honestly, incredible effort by the Haggis team to get him there in that form because it, they've, they've had a couple of years practice of getting him spot on for a particular day and um, he's absolutely nailed it. He, he never felt in better form yesterday. And Holly, Tom's sung your praises and, and, and he's tried to tell us how, how you've got to where you got to yesterday. Can, can you do the same in, in reverse and and try and work out the rise of, of Tom Marquin from your many, many years of experience? Yeah, obviously I've um, known Tom for quite a few years now. And from day one, he's always been very driven, very, very dedicated, and he's always known exactly what he wants, and obviously got plenty of ability. Um, so he's not this, he, he's, he deserves everything he gets. Uh, I mean... It seems as though you're very kind of similar, similar personalities. Is is that is that really the case? Where's the where's the where's the yin and yang? Do you think here? Uh, there's no there's no yin and yang, but no, we are quite different. Like obviously, you know, like everyone is, you have your own sort of personality and your own way to go about things, and um, yeah, I, I guess I guess we've got one thing in common that we know we know what we want to do and um, how we how we're going to go about it. So I guess that's probably where we come across quite similar. And Cornelius was teeing up the possibility that next year it's it's not impossible that you could actually be be fighting it out for a for a jockeys championship or in in years to come. Is is that something that ever crosses your mind, Holly? Um. Obviously, every jockey wants to be champion jockey. If I ever land in that position, obviously, I'll give it my all. But I've said in a few interviews now, um, I think some people 
think that um, certain jockeys can just pick and choose when they want to try and go for the championships. But um, for someone like me, I'm always trying to like dig deep and ride as many winners as I can. So this year, I probably couldn't have done any, any more than what I've, I've done. But um, maybe in the next few years, I, I might land in a position worthy of contending for it. Is there anything about this year that surprised you at all? What was that, sorry? Is there anything about this year that surprised you? Or is it, is it, did you think that this was, that, that yeah. what, what you've achieved was possible? Um, obviously, I, after the, um, the whole, whole situation with um, the coronavirus and, the, and um, the lockdown we had, I really didn't think that I'd be able to ride 100 winners this year. So it surprised me when I managed to do that. Um, and everything after that was has been um, you know a real shock to the system. I just I don't know. I, we were all in the same boat starting off at, um, when the, the at the start of the season. So to have done um, the things that I've managed to do this year has really been a big surprise for me. And, and days off for you guys are are few and far between. Tom was in here. You were in here with me two or three weeks ago, Tom, and you said that. I think you'd only had one day off since June, or, or if that. Now, today there is, I will double-check, no flat racing in, in Britain. Uh, how, how do you, can you find a way of occupying yourself when, there's, when there's actually no racing on? Yeah, no, this day off is pretty welcome. Um, yeah, I think that was, I actually had my first day off before I came on a few weeks ago uh, in about four months, which is mad, but... Genuinely, I think that just shows, you know, the job is something that we wake up and do without even giving it a second thought. And I mean, how lucky are we to be part of that? Because I'd say there's plenty of people that live for, live for their two days off every week. And, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine being like that. So, I, I mean, our day off today is very welcome. Um, and I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll find a way to, to get through it. Well, I... I... I'm going to let you go because I, we've taken up enough of your time already. All I can say is congratulations to you both again. It was a you know, tremendous day and uh, fingers crossed it will be the first of many such days for, for you both. And I now feel thoroughly guilty that we've taken up at least an hour of your time fiddling around with uh, technology. Uh, but, uh, but I hope you'll agree it was worth it. Thank you both very much. Congratulations. So thanks for having us on. And this is the story of uh, Holly Doyle and Tom Marquins. Gracious. British Champions Day. It's pretty remarkable because not only the four victories, Trushan, Glenn, Sheila, Dabe and, and Niord, but Holly was second on Solid Stone and, and Dan Mayo as well. And uh, you saw how, how well uh, Tom did earlier on in the day. So that's uh, pretty remarkable. Yeah, and voracious <laughs> ran, ran a, a pretty big race in the uh, the QE2 as well. So, no, it was it was an extraordinary day. There are certain days in sport, aren't there? where you think that day was really, really significant, and we were there to witness it. And in terms of racing, uh, actually, I wasn't there to witness it, but Frankie Dettori going through the card that day uh, at Ascot in 1996, that was hugely important. I was at a wedding, actually, fortunately, a very good wedding. Uh, uh, the, the day that Oshin Murphy rode all those winners on Air Gold Cup Day, including the Air Gold Cup, uh, and, and that day, and there will be up, there are plenty of other days in, in plenty of sports, just real moments where you feel feel like that was a really significant change of gear. And mm -hmm. I think that 
has been a really significant change of gear. You know, put the £1 million in prize money, put their, um, their percentages to one side. You know, Holly Doyle having, having had quite a lot of publicity in the build-up, having appeared on the 6 o'clock news on Friday night. Uh, Tom Marquand, uh, who is one of the... one of I think he was nominated for uh, BBC Young Sports Person yeah. of the Year only four or five years ago. You know, these are people moving forward for, for racing. And I feel... I, I, you know, I, I, I hope it doesn't sound overly pretentious, but I feel sitting here now that yesterday was something pretty important and we will remember... Uh, that October uh, afternoon at Ascot in relation to, to Tom and Harley for a, Holly for a long time. But as you say, there were a number of breakthrough acts yesterday. During the day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Not just uh, not just Tom uh, Markwind and, and Holly Doyle, but also uh, David Menuisier. And we've seen the, the, the brilliance of Francis Graffar and the way he produces horses now for a number of years. And The Revenant was another such example, second in the Queen Elizabeth II last year and going one better this time. Now, this race was as notable for the slight bubble burst of Palace Pier as it was for the victory uh, of the Revenant. Let's let's talk about the Revenant first, however, mm. and, and, and the winning trainer, and then we'll talk a bit about Palace Pier, Cornelius. And, and the winning jockey, Pierre Chalboudot, is just one of the most reliable acts in European racing, isn't he? Uh, but, um, yeah, the Revenant, I, I was inclined to think, gosh, uh, well done, Francis Graffard. This has been trained so brilliantly for an autumn campaign, but I think that was probably necessitated by the lockdown. So he had to work around mm. uh, the, 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 the realities of the world and decided to uh, throw the horse out in a field and give it a holiday for a time. But, um, yeah, th th this was a, 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 a really good moment uh, for all concerned, uh, and people will be inclined to scratch their heads about Palace Pier rather than praise the Revenant, but I, I think that was a spectacular performance coming so soon after um, the, after the, the previous success, so um, uh, he, he's not he's quite lightly raced, isn't he, mm. uh, the Revenant? Mm. But, you know, presumably, hopefully, we're going to see plenty of him uh, in in the future as well. Well, uh, shall we hear from the trainer? Are we? Yes, we. Uh, Francis joins us on the line now. Francis, congratulations. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> morning. And we, morning. And we spoke earlier in the week and you were, you were saying, oh, I'm not sure that we can beat Palace Pier, but then every horse is in, in, entitled to an off day. That's the one thing the Revenant doesn't seem to have. He doesn't have off days. No, exactly. Every time he run, he gave everything and his, uh, his form is very strong. And you, know, you went into yesterday feeling that he, he could be as good as last year. Was there any part of you that, that felt he could, Im could improve again? Yesterday, me and Pierre Charles, we were pretty confident the fact that um, last year he was more ready for the Wildenstein. And I think uh, he, he ran a little bit flatter in the QE2 uh, last year. This year, I couldn't be too hard on him because he, he came from a long time. So I was only 80-85% ready for the Wildenstein. And still managed to win like a nice gallop. And Pierre Charles was very, very happy with that. And he knew that he was going to come a lot for it. And, and the horse looked better this year at the QE2 than last year. And he proved on the track that he was fresh and ready, uh, spot on for the race. So I was uh, very pleased and uh, we were delighted. It was a beautifully judged ride. Has he come back to France okay? Very well. He arrived uh, this morning and uh, he seems very happy. And, and Francis, I, I know it looks as though you were you were just sort of picking this race and, and not concentrating about much else. But as Cornelius has touched on, and you said uh, earlier in the week, he he's a horse you wanted to run in the spring. 
Oh yes, he was um, because he he only ran twice uh, in the autumn last year, and he was uh, ready to do well in the spring. Uh, he had a very good winter. We were all ready, um, and and then the lockdown arrived, and uh, we sat down with Johnny and Harry, Peter, Blaine, discussed the horse, and we said, look, the plan has always been the QE2. Uh, we don't know how long the lockdown will last, and then after the lockdown. We will have firm ground, so it won't be ideal. So we decided to turn him out, basically, and uh, which is always upsetting when you have a horse of his quality in your yard and you want an easy in the field. <laughs> you just want to raise these horses, but at the end we got rewarded for that decision, I think. And I, I, I know you, there's part of you that would be keen to, to crack on and, and run him somewhere again. Is there any way you can run him now? Not really. I think uh, it's He's not, he's not the best traveler. Uh, so, and he's, he's, he's a new horse. Even he's on, he's five. I think he, he doesn't have a lot of mileage. So he's, he can have a very good season again next year. So I think, I think this year, we, this winter, we're going to, to be nice on him, and I'm going to give him a little spell again and have him for the spring, in Europe and do Europe campaign next year. I think with him, and if we have to travel, it will be probably next winter. I think we have to. Um, yeah, we're going to focus on Europe again. So, what would be your ideal starting point in the in the spring? Do you think it's hard to to answer this question, Nick, because the program in in France has been destroyed with the lockdown. I don't know how what would be the order of the races next year and the conditions. Uh, I think he can be stretched to a uh, nine nine long like the Ispan can be a, a race for him, and uh, have a, a race before that the Mont Blanc or the Muguet. Uh, I, I have to see. I, I didn't have time to sit down and look at the program again. <laughs> yes. Well, it's, it's mission accomplished. It's mission accomplished. That's for sure. And just finally, before we let you go, Francis, you've had a, a, an amazing season. You've You've got plenty of other stable stars. Are there big international targets for the for the in swoops of this world and the Woodeds? Are they going to run again? No, they won't. Uh, in swoop, um, I'm going to wait for next year with him. I, I had the idea to take him to Japan, but I think he's going to be out for three years old. And uh, he's, an, he's a horse. I'm sure he's going to improve next year. So uh, he's going to be uh, trotting uh, from next week. <laughs> And then we are going to focus for next year. And, and Woodard is gone to the stud. Oh, so he's done. He's done, unfortunately, for me. <laughs> well, you've got loads and loads of lovely horses to look forward to, including this horse. We'll look forward to seeing back again next year. Francis, well done. Thank you very much. Thank you. Francis Graffard, the winning trainer of the Revenant. Let's talk about Palace Pier, mm. Cornelius, because John Gosden so rarely has days when they just don't turn up. Uh, this was a a bit of the reason for Palace Pier's disappointment. You can see his near four there. John's just picked the the foot up. No, yeah, lost a shoe. No shoe. No. Um, so and that appeared to happen sometime inside the the final couple of furlongs because Frankie, Frankie was, was definitely looking, looking down, down and the horse he? was changing his leg. And he was a bit awkward at the start. He just, you know, he never really. Um, obviously, there were ones I was drawn constantly to, and there's a great quote from what was the quote from um, Simon Holt? He's going to have to dig in and get mm. dirty here. 
the commentator said in the in the closing stages. And one sort of thought, when's he coming? You yeah. know, he's going to do it. Well, the, the interesting thing about the race was that they, they started very slowly. You and he was quite awkward at the start. He was he? quite a long way back. He was awkward at the start, which probably put him further back. The sectional time showed that he ran the three fastest furlongs in the middle part of the race, where Frankie made that big move mm. in the middle of the race. He was faster than every other horse. And that looked horse. to be... Here we go. And then was it him emptying because of that move, or was it because of the shoe, or a combination of both? And that's what makes horse racing so intriguing, isn't it? Everyone will have, uh, will have a theory. But uh, it was for, you know, for the, the, the fans of the Gosden team, the Gosden team, even the members of the team themselves, mm. must have thought, well, we've got Stradivarius, we've got Paris Pier, we've got Mishrif, we've got Lord North. Wow, you know, something's going something's to go really well today, isn't it? And, you know, it's amazing how sport generally and racing in particular can, can just quash those, those hopes. They had a less high-profile name in the fillies and mares, Medea. In the end, she actually ran quite She ran well, didn't she? And again, she had to make up loads of ground around the outside. See Frankie there in the white cap, and she's eventually faded into fourth. As the leader is making the best of her merry way home, wonderful tonight. And she was, she was just that, Cornelius. Yeah, and she was going to stay, wasn't she? Uh, so um, William Buick knew that, uh, that that was OK. There's, there's uh, Holly Doyle uh, going to finish second here. But look at, uh, uh, this is the point with Medea. Um, that uh, she responds well to the urgings of uh, Frankie Dettori and then she comes and looks as though she's going to play a major part and then she's just going to fade towards the end. But that, that's, a very that's a very respectable effort, isn't it? But uh, this um, wonderful tonight, um, having her sixth race, I think, since, um, since racing resumed on the 1st of June, having won the Royal Oo, um, and uh, that, this is a, a really smart performance. Uh, I think the indication from her trainer, David Minusier, it was a great day for French, French trainers and French-born trainers, um, that David Minusier indicating that Wonderful Tonight could be um, maybe aimed at the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe in 2021. And uh, she is, you know, people, be, uh, people will try and pick the race apart a little bit. They often do with uh, fillers and mares races at this kind of level. But that was a very smart performance, whichever way you look at it. Well, she's put together two Group 1 victories now, Wonderful Tonight. In and just a few weeks. In just a few weeks. And one over 14 and then cutting back to 12 on slightly less testing ground. But she clearly likes to get her toe in. And she's a testament to the training skills of Devin Menuisier. We spoke to him two weeks ago after she'd won the Royal Year. We can speak to him now after she'd won the British champions, Phillies and Mares. David, congratulations. What a, what a terrific filly she is. Yeah, thank you very much, Nick. You're going to be sick of me very soon. Not at all. <laughs> we're, we're never sick of you. You're always happy to come and talk to us. And, uh, and when you've got horses winning like this, then we're only happy to talk to, talk to you. Uh, just tell me a little bit about what you've done with her between France and here, because she looked to have quite a hard race in France, but she looked fresh as paint yesterday. Yeah, look, I mean, we, we really couldn't do much, but didn't do much, uh, because uh, there was no point, really. You know, the field is fit. Uh, we just had to do a little piece of work last Tuesday, because she was getting too fresh. <laughs> And uh, and just a stretch of the legs on Friday, basically. But other than that, we didn't really do uh, a great deal. It was just a, a matter of keeping her um, happy and um, taking over, really. But she, she's very easy to train. She's a light filly. And um, once she's fit, uh, you know, you can pretty much run um, as often as you like, really. And you've got loads to look forward to it next year i presume she's she's keeping going yeah yeah she, she's gonna stay in training i mean obviously she'll she, she'll be finished for the season now 
uh, but she'll stay in training next year and and uh, uh, the um, Arc de Triomphe will be uh, the, the main uh, target if we are lucky enough. Just tell me a little bit about the story behind her and how she came to you, David, and how, how you got her in the first place. Look, I mean, I was um, at the August sales in Deauville uh, two years ago. Um, by last year, really, uh, last August. And, uh, no, two years ago. Yeah, no, she's three. Yeah, two years ago. Time flies. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, I, I was... Uh, I, I thought I detected the best horse in the sale, which was the son of Intello, that I managed to buy for a lot of money. And uh, Chris Wright uh, actually sold the top price on the day, called by CUD. And I saw him later, and I congratulated him for for selling the top price. And I said, it's funny, there's a few good horses today that haven't been sold. So the market is uh, a bit strange. And he said, oh, is there one in particular? And I said, yes, it's Philippe Ailehaus. And uh, he said, well, if you, if, you, if you really like her, just get her vetted and, and buy her. And it's as simple as that, really. <laughs> so we made an offer of 40,000 euros, and uh, they said, yeah. So, yeah, happy days. And, and I'm, I'm even happier, David, to say that your, your owner, Chris Wright, is on, is on the other line now. Uh, <laughs> uh, Chris, Chris, good morning. Congratulations. Good morning. Thanks, Nick. Um, is, I don't know if you could hear, David. I, I think you probably could. Yeah, of course I could. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, w- Morning, Chris. Is, is that pretty much? Was that pretty much how you remember it? Exactly. He exactly. There's not much more to add. We went to see the the, the filly with David, and and that was it. Well, you know, go and buy her then, and and he did. And I mean, we can't blame much credit ourselves for, for doing anything. It's all down to David. But what I mean, it's a it's a great story. I, 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 I have you have you had many kind of impulse buys, if you like, over the over the years, where you've just been caught almost off guard or on the hop, and you've thought, oh, come on, then let's go and have a go at that. No, not really. Uh, I don't think you know we don't do things like that. We're normally pretty measured about what we do. We certainly don't pay much money for for yearlings. I don't think any of my my trainers would expect me to go to six figures or anything like that. And but it, it, it's right. We'd sold the Sioni uh, yearling very well. And um, it was right place, right time, and saying, OK, let's, let's go for it. And I've got an awful lot of, of time for David. I think he's a really, really talented trainer. And uh, I back his judgment. And I, I say that because, actually, I think the first study we sent in didn't do very well. And the second one only did just a little bit better. But... I've always thought that he's a really, really good trainer and I would back his judgment and that's what we did. Don't go away, David, because I don't want to spare your blushes. I want to hear a bit more of this from your... No, from, I'm, from... I'm just wiping my eyes at them. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chris, how many trainers do you reckon you've had down the years? A handful? Yeah, there's probably still about a dozen. Yeah. So, so you, you've had a pretty good and, and long career as, a, as an owner, as a breeder. What for you makes a good trainer what do you want in a trainer well i think all trainers are different they all bring different attributes to to uh to what they do some of them are better with with certain kinds of horses i mean i wouldn't necessarily be sending a potential queen mary winner to david although he would probably say he could do just as good a job as anyone else but he is the kind of trainer that, that does give horses time so 
you know, you've just, just got to try and get the right trainer for the, for the right horse. And they've all, I mean, as, as in everything in life, no one is 100% perfect. So you try and, you know, match up the best of your talents with the best of whatever you can do. And you've had some some wonderful fillies as well. Uh, Culture Vulture, of course, going right back, and and Cresselia more recently, who, who you sadly lost, but was wonderful in in America, and and this one, uh, I'd imagine now uh, rapidly getting a very special place in your heart. Oh yeah, I mean obviously, you know, all three of them are, are you know, are very very important. Culture Vulture, you know, was very very important, and Cresselia. I mean, you know, of course, it was tragic in the end to have a filly that good and for her to to leave us in such a you know terrible tragic way and uh, it just shows you that racing is full of ups and downs and certainly with what happened to Chris Elliam the ups were just enormous remembering the day at the Breeders' Cup and the downs when it all went uh, gradually and so horribly wrong you know just a month or two later but you know right now wonderful tonight is she She's fab- absolutely fabulous, and also, I I haven't really had many mile and a half of middle distance ho- horses of any description. I mean, we we've been specialising on sprinters and you know more speed horses, and we've been quite successful with that. Uh, but this is a this is a departure, and I, and if it hadn't been for David and the Deauville sale and the impulse buy, I guess we wouldn't be there. So it's just it just shows what all of the attractions of racing and how magic it can be. Yeah, it really is magic. And I think everybody really warmed to a slightly wider, uh, more diverse cast list yesterday as well as regards some of the people that were were involved. Uh, I know you've been, been in it a long time. You're a breeder as well, Chris. Uh, is, is, this, is, this, is this you and her together forever now, Wonderful Tonight? Because she's obviously worth a ton of money. I know, Nick, I know. It's, it's frightening, really. Um, I, I would really like to think so. I mean, you know, you always have to, you know, be slightly gu- guarded because things, um, you know, things don't always go as smoothly as they've been going for the for the last few months with her. But, you know, of course, the, the dream is that she could be here in Gloucestershire, where I am now, on the stud for the for the rest of a very long life and produce all kinds of wonderful Oaks and Derby winners for us. I mean, that's that's obviously why you go into it in the first place and that is the dream whether we can match the dream with the reality of course we just keep our fingers crossed and and hope for the best and david all you have to do now is send her out and win a few more group ones next year but she looks to have such a fantastic attitude ah look she, she's absolutely fantastic you know she's uh she's really tough but on the other hand she's easy to train um you just have to like, she's the same in the morning as she is in the afternoon. You you just have to channel that energy into something positive. You know, she could. Uh, I think in the wrong hands, she could she she could turn to to vinegar because horses like this, you know, you you can overwork at times. You know, and uh, so it's a, it's a matter of finding the, the the right balance. But she 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 has everything. She has speed. She has stamina. She's tough. Um, yeah, she's she's just exceptional. Uh, I said to Chris a long time ago, she she's probably the best filly I've I've been blessed to to work with in in all of my life, and I worked with some greats, you know, like Cricket Head and Richard Mandela and John Dunlop. And uh, you know, I said that before she 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 ran for the first time last year. Uh, 
I don't think I have met a filly with that sort of constitution, both you know, physically and, and mentally. She's, uh, she's, she's really exceptional. Well, it's been a, a pleasure to talk to you both, and it was a great triumph. Uh, Chris, thank you, David. Thank you very much, and well done. Thank you very much. Thanks. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. But I'm very pleased that we can join him on the line from, from Newmarket. It was two and a half years, I think, that uh, Luca Kumani was here in this Luck on Sunday studios. He was drawing his training career to a, to a conclusion. He was, at the same time, running a highly successful breeding operation with his wife, Sarah Fisick Stud, to which he is now devoting much more time. He's also a British Horse Racing Authority board member, which I'm sure has been extremely interesting and engaging, particularly over the last few months. And, of course, we come off the back of that frenetic, extraordinary and slightly at right angles to the rest of the sport period of sales at, at Tattersall's the last few weeks. I'm delighted to welcome back Luca Kumani to the show. Luca, good morning. Good morning, Nick. And as I said, it's been, it's been a couple of years since we, we spoke on, on this programme. Um, do you look back on, on that period happy with the way that you, you shifted your career away from training to, to something a little bit different? Very, very happy. I think I'm very blessed. I'm very lucky. I've, um, over the years, Sarah and I have built a stud just outside Newmarket in Upend, and uh, it's fully functioning. It's, it's in a great shape, and we, we really love it, love it being here. I'm very lucky because, uh, you know, it was 25 years in the making with always the idea that one day I could um, walk away from training and have something else to be interested in. And uh, I made it. Um, let's hope it can continue for a few more years. And I guess what you, you miss when you, you stop training is that, that adrenaline rush, that buzz, that bit of planning as well that goes on, trying to carefully get the horses in the, in the right races. I guess you still have quite a lot of that doing what you're, you're doing now. You have to get absolutely everything spot on for a big day and then you get that, that massive adrenaline rush with the sales. Uh, very much so. It, it's it's different. It's different because when I was training, going to the sales meant to be mostly frustration because you saw some wonderful horses that you wanted perhaps to buy or thought you have a chance of buying, and then you got frustrated because somebody had more money, somebody else had more money than you had. And now instead, the difference is that it's uh, basically trepidation. You go, uh, you walk in the ring with your horse, and you just have no idea who. You have a vague idea who might be bidding, but you have no idea how much you will make. And, uh, and you're just sitting there with your heart in your mouth, waiting for the bids to come in. And when you're, when you're staking a lot, you need plenty in return. It's all very well to see the numbers on a page. But when you're using stallions like you do, let's see the stars, Frankel, Sayuni, these, these are not coming cheap. Uh, absolutely not. But I've always been a believer that uh, you have to do the best you can. Um, and so I did, I did that when I was training. I always went for the best horses in the best races that I could, I could um, realistically afford to, to go for. And the same I do with the, with the mares. You know, I try and get the best mares I possibly can and send them to the best, poss best possible stallions I can. We'll take a look at one or two of the lots that you sold in, in, in book one. The, the one that did best, I think, was the, the See the Stars. 
out of out of Amnaya. Just just tell me a bit a bit about this sale, Luca. Um, well, we knew the horse was going to go down very well because it had uh, over a hundred a uh, hundred parades or looks from people. And so we knew there was interest. And uh, even even before going to the sales, we knew he was our best because he was a real man of a horse with a fantastic walk on him, extremely correct and and, and classy looking, and a good good match between uh, Cedar Stars and Shamadal, the the sire of Adam. And so we we were very hopeful. We knew we knew we had something that was good. Uh, what we didn't know is that he would make so much money. So to what extent does does his sale alone relieve the pressure on the entire operation it, it, was his sale enough to to essentially sort the year out for you uh, half half of it because uh, um, our breeding bill just just nominations alone for for a year uh, is around a million pounds so we spend about a million pounds in 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 stud fees so by getting 625 for him uh, got us nearly there. I mean, halfway there, because then you have all the other expenses, the expenses of preparation and the expenses of running and stud. And, uh, and so we were halfway there. And then the Frankel took us three quarters of the way there. So we've we, we done, we done well. We're happy. Um, I, I like this call a lot. This is the Frankel out of, uh, out of Blue Waltz. And uh, how, how happy were you that this was bought by, by, by Judmont? Because they, they don't buy that many horses at, at public auction. It's only the, the real cream where they're looking to add a little bit. Well, they're obviously very, very good judges. And, uh, <laughs> and when, when we, when we realised they were interested... <laughs> they are good judges. Look, look at the success they've had over the years. I mean, Judmont is is probably, uh, if not the best, one of the very best uh, breeding operation, racing operation, and the world over. So the fact that they were interested was um, was a great uh, compliment to A R Stud and B R Horse that was at the sales. And so that got you three quarters of the way there, and then you had a a, a nice Sayuni in, in book one as well. Um, now. Do you do you break even here or not? We we done a bit better than breaking even on uh, on on what we got versus what we got to pay now for this year's nominations. So we we're slightly ahead of the game. Which listen, it's a great success because about about a month ago, six weeks ago, we all thought the sales were going to be a disaster. We, I, I, I even joke with Sarah that we might have to plough up uh, paddocks and and uh, grow potatoes because we um, we wouldn't have any income from the sale of the horses. And uh, so it's been a great success. Everybody's worked extremely hard. Um, both Tattersalls and, and Goffs have worked extremely hard to make the sales happen. Um, people have been very compliant with all the difficulties of having access to the sales, having access to the horses. And so I think that, uh, you know, then, of course, our, our friends from the Middle East were major contributors to the success and long may continue. I mean, given, given the difficulties we've had this year, mm. I think the sales results have been the resounding success. You see the sport in the round now because you're not only speaking as someone who's a former trainer and now a, a very successful breeder, which you'd been doing as a sideline anyway, um, but you're also on the board of the, the British Horse Racing Authority. You, you can see the sport from an, an awful lot of different perspectives. Are you, 
Are you any more optimistic now than perhaps you might have been when we were in lockdown in May? Um, yes, I am, definitely. Um, I've always been a sort of fairly optimistic person. You have to be optimistic when you're dealing with the, when you're in racing because, you know, there's more downs than ups. Uh, however, I thought the BHA did a fantastic job to get racing started again. Uh, despite all the criticism we got, it, they, they, they worked very hard, got racing going. Um, it's nobody's fault that now we have a, a second wave that's precluded people from attending races. Um, you know, this, this, we are living in unprecedented times. Nobody knows, nobody's ever encountered a, a problem like we've had this year with coronavirus. And so there is no, 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 nothing to fall back on, no precedent to fall back on to know what to do. So everybody's just groping around in the dark, hoping to do their best and trying to do their best. The BHA, as I said, has done a fantastic job to get racing, to keep racing going from when it started behind closed doors. Admittedly, not ideal, but it is racing. People, people can watch it. I think that you know there's been a great following on racing. Perhaps people watch have now. Um, more people are watching racing thanks to the to ITV and and the, the perfect presentation we have and the, <laughs> of, of racing. And uh, I know why you're sniggering because you think I'm saying that because of my daughter, but uh, she she plays a little part, not 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 a small part, probably a good part. But it's not just her; it's also it's also Ed and Jason and. Uh, and uh, all the other people that, that work on, on ITV, I think that they're doing a fantastic job. And it's great for racing to have, to have that team presenting it. And, uh, and as I say, everybody's worked hard. Everybody's been very resilient. Uh, owners have, deserve great credit for keeping the show going uh, in, in, during lockdown and with, with uh, the, 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 the dreadful state of prize money that we have at the moment, which... Uh, at the BHA, we're working very hard to improve for, for the future, um, and I'm, I'm confident that we will. We will because the, the 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 narrative now, where we stand with prize money compared with our competitors, is um, is is getting through to people. And uh, you know, we've been living, we've been living, thanks to the generous support and, if you like, sponsorship of the of the Arabs and. Uh, some major influx of money from the rest of the world, from Australia, from uh, Hong Kong, from from America. Uh, but you know, we, you, you can't live on on on, on other people's uh, willingness to support you all along. You have to stand on your two feet and do the best you can to for your own product, to promote your product, and um, and, and promote the sport uh, to the rest to, to the rest of the people. So the promotion of the sport looks to be going well from your perspective. There's a lot, as you say, there's a lot of television coverage. There's eyeballs on uh, the promotional arm of the sport is, is working hard to do that. There are things you can do without crowds there. But you make the point about mm -hmm. the, the funding of the sport, which is still not, not secure for the, for the future. From, from what you've seen, from the internal workings of what's been going on over the last three weeks or, or a month, what is the best way now for the for the sport to get the money that it needs and, and wants to make it to make it secure. 
first and foremost, there should be unity in the sport, and I think we are getting there. I think the horsemen's group, uh, the racehorses, and the BHA are very much united now in in um, drawing a, a plan for the future. And uh, the intent is there, the willingness is there, everybody's getting on much better with each other. And uh, as I said to to people in uh, over the last few months, I said that, that we have one objective, the rest is all a sideshow. Let's just get to the objective and forget and bury any hatchet that, we, that might be. Stop arguing with each other and just look forward and keep our gaze fixed on the objective, which is uh, better return and better financing of racing. So what's the way we do it? Um, well, ob the, the, there's obviously only one way. In international comparisons, what comes back to racing from the betting is uh, is is the lowest in in in, um, in the world. So we have to improve on that because that's where what the, the finance comes from. It's from from the betting. So we have to keep improving our betting product, and uh, we just have to find a way of charging for it in a in a in a way that it brings back more money. To racing and increases our prize money. Just a, 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 an example. If you think that uh, uh, the Cofield Cup yesterday, the winner of the Cofield Cup won 1.6 million, and Adeib, who beat the winner of the Cofield Cup back in the spring uh, in Sydney uh, by winning the Champion Stakes, he won a quarter of that, 400,000 pounds. So we stand absolutely no comparison. It's, 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 I've always said. Uh, Britain has the best racing in the world and the best horse in the world, but the worst prize money. And, and yeah, and that's been been exacerbated by by the effects of the of the last few months. But there, there you know, there is some there is some difference of opinion in the sure. in the corridors of power now as to as to how how racing gets better prize money and how that top top end prize money is is increased. Would you be in favour of there being fewer horses, fewer races? And a, a sort of a more of a more of an emphasis on the elite competition, or, or are you in favour of what's being done at the moment, which is to kind of maintain the prize money levels of those four, five, and six class four, five, and six races to try and keep more owners in the sport? Well, racing racing is a pyramid, um, and the, for, with any pyramid, the larger the base, the higher the the top. So you need you need a base. You can't just say it be in an ideal world. You say right, let's not have any class four, five, six races, and only have class one, two, or three. But you can't because unfortunately the vast majority of horses are, are not very good. So you need you need them as a base, and you need to produce the, those horses from which um, the 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 top will will emerge. So I don't. I, I think I think we've got it pretty right at the moment. I think that given the number of racecourses we have, given the number of horses we have to produce in order to achieve that height at the top, um, we got it quite right. And unfortunately, like in any endeavour, you you know you you don't you can't just have a Premier League. You have to have all the other leagues as well and the and the Championship. Uh, so it is what it is. And you just have to finance the whole the whole system better. In terms of in terms of what you've seen from the from the from the workings of the VHA, you said they they did a very good job getting getting racing back up and uh, and running again. Do you think that there's a, enough of a voice being heard as regards trying to trying to get people back into the sport, trying to get crowds back on racecourses? 
uh, that's that's an area in which we have to push very hard again. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't help once you start talking about tier two and tier three, uh, because then everybody panics that everything's got to be shut down and no one can meet and no people can can be together and, and all that. Um, it's obvious. It's very obvious that when you talk about racing, um, you have people on a, on a vast amount of space where it's easy to be to be distancing, and uh, you could easily have um, a thousand or two thousand people on a racecourse and keep them distanced and safe. However, it's very difficult to man micromanage the whole economy because then you you know there's other other areas where they can say, oh well, we've got plenty of space, so we should be allowed to have some people here, some people there, and uh, and there's, it's just very very hard to micromanage. But I think the message will have to get through that racecourses are a safe place. They've done a, an amazing job at um, keeping everybody distance and, and, and respecting the protocols. We touch wood haven't had a single case of COVID that's been contracted at the races or in stables for that matter. So um, it's an open air sport. Uh, surely, surely, surely we slowly will get the message through that we, we, can, we can have people. However, even having a thousand or two thousand people is not going to be enough for racecourses to survive. So the only thing we can hope and pray is that uh, this this COVID will uh, will eventually either through vaccination or, or through uh, self uh, or herd immunity or whatever whatever reason will leave us alone for in the next six months or so. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.